you know, why do first responders, why do nurses, doctors, why do they do the job? And I think the overwhelming majority of them, because it's, it's not easy. It is stressful. It does encompass you. It is overwhelming at times. It is scary. But it boils down to the fact that we want to help people. My name is Jay Neal. I'm a paramedic firefighter for Burlington, Vermont. I've been there for about three years. I've worked in another municipality before that and another one before that. So I've got about 14 years career service underneath my belt. You're listening to Essential Work, a podcast about how people in the Mad River Valley are being impacted by the global health crisis. I'm Eddie Mermot, and today we talk to Jay Neal about working as a first responder in Burlington. Jay, thanks so much for, for agreeing to do this. Uh, Jonas is here with us too. Joe, you want to say hi? Hi, Jay. Nice, nice to see you, or at least over the phone. Yeah, man. <laughs> Good to hear from you. Before we start off this interview, we just wanted to really check on how you are like during this stressful time. I know everything's quite emotional for a lot of people. We just wanted to make sure you're doing all right. Yeah, so um, it has been much more difficult in, in many ways. You know, it's it's expected on our behalf just with the stress and uh, of the coronavirus and our expectation of having to treat more patients. Uh, more sick patients potentially, but uh, surprisingly, or, uh, we've actually seen a large drop in call volume up in the Burlington area. And I think that is a lot of people are realizing that they didn't truly need to go to the hospital and they're able to kind of take care of themselves and their own health issues or contact their primary care or go to uh, another health care provider. Um, so on that side, it, it's been nice and it, it's been nice to have some of that reduced flow of work um but when we are seeing patients you know they are you know quote unquote more truly ill or they're they're a higher acuity illness of of what we've seen um but our district uh first of all the uvm medical center has done a tremendous job preparing for um, the potential of, of of the coronavirus patients and that between getting additional beds ready and getting additional resources and PPE, as well as the Burlington Fire Department. You know, we feel very confident and strong with what we have uh, for the potential of how bad it can get. Um, but they're, they're, you know, in many ways, it's been a very big paradigm shift for us. Whereas we used to just take a lot of patients to the hospital, we've been doing a lot more triaging in people's homes, slowing down calls, um, and really communicating what's best for them. Because oftentimes it's best for them, even if they are a potential coronavirus carrier, or even if they are um, somewhat sick, it's best for them to stay at home and to manage their their care themselves. Uh, our tipping point really is when it gets into the respiratory tract. So if they are, if they're having any sort of respiratory difficulty, um, that's much more concerning because that leads to pneumonia, and that's when they're seeing a lot higher patients uh, uh, getting sick, and that's potentially when they need to go on ventilators. But otherwise. You know, the general population, if they don't have any comorbidities, they're able to manage their, their care at home and, and, and rest and monitor their, their temperature and um, ideally have a, a good balanced diet. But um, that's kind of been our, our, our shift with our patients that, that we're seeing in the, in the general population. Jay, can you tell us what an average day of work looked like before the pandemic and how things have changed since? Yes. So, you know, take things back a month ago, 
And my normal day starts off at home when I wake up um, in Warren. And I, I do my normal kind of chores. You know, we have the animals here. We have chickens. And, and in another month, we'll have pigs and turkeys and all that in a big garden. So normally, I wake up and, and make some coffee and check the animals, make sure they have what they need for food and water and, and help out with what I can before I head out. I get on the road about 5.30, 5.45. Uh, it's about an hour's drive from me up to Burlington. And then when I get to work, it's always been, um, you know, get my gear off the rack, which would be our fire gear. Because even though we're on the ambulance, we're still firefighters. And we, we, we're, we're ready to spawn for fires as well as medical emergencies. So I would, I would take my, my gear off, which is my, my, my helmet, coat, pants, boots, uh, and my, my mask. I, I put that on the position of where I'm going to be riding for the day. I take off the other individual's their gear, I hang it back up on their rack. And then I do a quick kind of one or two minute rundown on, on the equipment I'm on just to make sure that things are there, things that the, the essentials are there for what I need in case we get a call in the next 20 minutes that I know at least the, you know, all the big stuff are there. Uh, after that, generally the rest of the shift shows up. They do the same. We have coffee, do a morning briefing on what our expectations are, kind of you know, the time frame involved, whether we're going to be doing training or whether we have some, some other events prior scheduled. And then, um, you know, the afternoon rolls around and generally we'll get a busy time for two or three hours. It seems we'll do three or four calls, whether they're back to back or spaced out a little bit and respond to those and deal with those come 10 o'clock at night. It's, it's, it's time to go to, to sleep if we're able to, um, generally between 10 and six is what we say is our time to, to sleep if we're lucky enough to. Most times on the ambulance, we go out anywhere between three and four times on average at night. And sometimes we don't go out at all, which is very rare. Or sometimes we're out all night. And that's also on the other rare side. And then come the morning and, you know, the new shift comes on and, and relieves us. Uh, one major thing is as soon as we come in now, we have to monitor our temperature. So we check our, we check our temperature orally three times. If our temperature is above 100.4 Fahrenheit, uh, that's a major red flag for the potential of, of having the COVID virus. If that were the case, we'd have to notify our shift commander and we would be immediately relieved from duty and, and quarantined. And we'd have to go on a 14-day quarantine. Uh, as well as that, we have a series of questions. We have about six or seven questions saying, do we have a recent cough, especially a dry cough? Do we have any general malaise, which is just being more tired than normal, not having our normal energy? Um, do we have, um, oh, certainly our, our, our temperature, um, or if we've been around anyone that's been sick, you know, that's concerning, but, uh, and if we, if we have enough of those boxes checked, it would also be concerning, um, in the fact that we may need to be quarantined. Um, and that'd be a 14 day quarantine. Uh, the fire department has done a very great job, um, as far as securing some hotel rooms, which is very nice. And that we don't have to go at home and potentially expose our family, which is very comforting. Um, so they, they've provided those for us. I'm not sure if anyone has gone to that, um, utilized that resource yet, but it's, it's nice to know that it's there for us. Um, so, so assuming we're not, we're not sick, um, our temperature is, is within a normal reading, then we'd go about exchanging our gear and notifying guys and, and from training. 
Um, now, with, with the, the virus, there's so much more information coming up from, from the chiefs above us, uh, our, our training chief, our, our chiefs of administration, our chiefs of operation, that every day they're giving us new guidance, new SOGs, new procedures um, in, in regards to our safety and what we need to do and how we need to respond to calls and, and how we need to interact and as well as what's the hospitals doing because they have new changes every day. And we want to make sure that we're, we're right in line with them. We want to make sure that we're in sync as much as we can. So that, that's been a new change for us. And every day that's anywhere between one to two to three hours of additional training that we're doing. Uh, and that's right off the bat because we want to make sure as soon as we get that next call, that we're, we're, we're ready to respond in the expected manner that the hospital thinks for us. So um, after that, you know, again, we're doing our meals. We're, 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 we're trying to just uh, support each other and kind of diffuse. And, and you know, there's a lot more now uh, of, of checking in on each other, making sure we're doing all right, making sure that, you know, our mental health, our emotional health is, 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 is being tended and, and we're aware of that. You know, like I said, we've seen a, a major reduction in calls. Normally for the ambulance, we would go out in anywhere between 10 to 14 times for a response throughout a 24-hour shift. And now we're down to, I think, around four, you know, three, four or five responses per shift. Um, and again, I think that has a lot to do with the general public, number one, not going to, up to the hospital because they don't want to be exposed. And they realize that there are COVID positive patients up there. And um, it's been a, a lot of general education that we've been educating, that the hospitals have been educating. You hear a lot on the media, educating people. Um, and, and now, you know, of those calls, we're only transporting maybe half of them. Whereas before we were transporting anywhere between three quarters to say 80 or 90% of patients. So we're spending extra time on calls. We're spending extra time slowing it down, just communicating with patients, seeing what's the, what's the best thing for them. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do is what's best for them. And sometimes it is best to go up to the hospital. Sometimes they do have something else that may be um, worrisome in, in whether it's an injury or an illness that they do need to go up to the hospital. And we're not concerned about them directly having the COVID virus, but they need to go up. Um, and with our responses, another major change is before we, we'd always wore gloves. We've always worn gloves. And some guys always wore uh, protective eyewear and some didn't. We always had it available. And if we ever had to, we had gowns, but it was very rare that we'd wear a gown um, and, and, or a mask, or, you know. Now, our standard response to every single medical call is gloves, sometimes double pair of gloves. We're wearing N95 masks, regardless of whether the patient has a cough or, or they've been ill or not. We are wearing um, certainly glass, um, protective eyewear glasses, and the department's given us tactical goggles and we have face shields, full full mask face shields that protect our entire face. And we're wearing gowns. And the gowns are provided by UVM Medical Center, which is great, that they're launderable. So we're exchanging them up there. They're doing their full laundry service on them, sterilizing them, and giving us back to us. I mean, they're not in a sterile state when we get them. But certainly if there was any concern of the virus that we had on them, they're taking care of that, which is nice. So we're not throwing out as much uh, PPE anymore. We, we, we dispose of our gloves. That will never really change. But um, it's nice that we don't have to think about uh, conserving our resources as far as disposable gowns, uh, which is very comforting. You know, I'm, I'm very much aware of the environment and what we're using. And for us to be able to reuse equipment is, is great. It's, it's 
it's, it's for the betterment of everyone. Um, so that's another major change that we're doing and seeing every single call. Um, and then after that, it's, you know, our normal kind of routine of the day and checking in each other. And it's been, been great to see that in the past, you know, a lot of times guys would just watch TV and, and kind of edge out. And now we're doing more group activities. We're watching movies together. We're playing cards together. We're playing Monopoly and other, you know, games of risk and, and these fun. It's a fun thing. You know, our, our morale has, has certainly uh, increased in the, in, in the last few weeks because I think we all feel like we're in the trenches. You know, we're all in this together. We're going to get through it together. Yeah, I feel like this this virus really brings people closer. It really has. And it, it's great in that sense. You know, we, we're all aware of it we're all nervous of it i think we're all scared of it to 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 a degree but we all you know none of us are are leaving from it you know whereas in the past we used to see guys taking much more sick time and vacation time we're we're not doing that we're 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 here in it you know we're not afraid to take the time you know if we need to take the time for our own break whatever we're doing that and we're encouraging each other but um you know, our overtime is, is, is gone down because the guys are here. We want to be there. We, we want to be on these quote unquote front lines of it and making the difference and, and, and helping out and, and seeing it through. Jay, we want to know, like, how has your home life changed since this? Like, are you worried for your family? Do you feel safe coming home often? Yeah. So, I mean, our life, our, certainly our home life has changed more in, in the fact that, you know, we've always homeschooled. So that's not very much of a change for us, but we've always had a lot of outlets. We've always had great programs in the Valley, sculpture school, um, our youngest Wilder, who's four, she's gone to uh, Spring Hill School. So that's no longer available. So that's been more a challenge for us as far as my wife and I, Nikki, um, now, we're not having those breaks that we would normally get because the kids are always here and it's it, it's tough to kind of balance that but um i'm not scared as far as bringing anything home um you know i know that i'm practicing as much care as i can to protect myself from the virus from patients up at the, up, up at um work i i all i don't launder my clothes at home i've always laundered my own uniforms at work um I take a shower every time at the station before I leave to come home from work. You know, um, as soon as I come in the door, whether it's I just drove from work or home or whether I stop for groceries on the way, um, I'm washing my hands as soon as I come in the door. You know, before I always used to come home and get a great big hug from the kids and a kiss and all that. And now that I realized, you know, I need to wash my hands first. Um, you know, when I'm out in, in public, I, I wear a mask. I, I'm lucky enough I have an, an N95 mask that I wear. That's a little bit of a uh, of overkill. Most people just need a surgical mask or even just any sort of um, protective barrier. You know, it doesn't need to be medically approved. If you're just in the general public um, is, is, is our understanding, but that may change. You know, I think there's a lot of the virus that we don't fully understand. We don't fully understand how aerosolized it can be, how much spreading if, if one person sneezes in say you know a grocery store is that affecting other people i think we're all learning that um so for my own comfort in in knowing you know i am wearing an n95 but that's you know that's actually a used one i'm using from from the firehouse uh i'm i'm, I'm privileged enough to have that um you know certainly if we had any ppe that got contaminated if we had a, uh, a higher risk exposure at the fire station that that all gets thrown away 
or laundered in, in, in the proper sense. But if it's not, if we're just having a normal interaction with a patient, um, we're, we're reusing our masks. Um, but again, the gloves and the masks, um, the gloves and the gowns um, get, get uh, new ones for every single patient. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm not scared. Uh, you know, I'm halfway expecting to get the virus just because of my exposure potential with work. And that's just kind of, you know, where we're at. And, and Nick and I, we've talked about it. We're, we're, we feel confident that just percentage alone, the healthy people that are getting the virus, number one, either don't even know it or, or their bodies are healthy enough and their immune system is well enough to, to take care of it. And, and that's where we're at. You know, we're healthy individuals. We're, we're mid forties. Our kids are, you know, um, four, eight and 10 and they're healthy. We, we, we live, live more of an organic approach to our life. So, you know, we're, 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 we're confident with that. And, you know, if we do get ill and sick, we'll take it like we always do, but, um, it kind of is what it is. <laughs> you mentioned raising chickens and pigs at home. Can you talk more about how you got started homesteading? We started doing it before we moved to Vermont about six years ago. I just always loved the idea of chickens. I thought they were interesting to watch. I thought they were really cool. And um, I said, you know, Nick, let's get some chickens. And she was supportive. And, and we got chickens. Just, you know, we go through eggs. We don't go through a ton of eggs. And I just thought they were a really neat animal. And, and, and they're easy as far as the sense of, of raising them um, once they get, you know, mature enough there's very little to do so we started with that and and just really enjoyed kind of getting getting to know where our food comes from you know we really appreciate more local food certainly organic food and we have a lot of comfort in in having that control and just knowing where it comes from um so we started with chickens and then we got into raising our own meat chickens and then raising turkeys and we've done bees and uh, we've done pigs three or four years and it all just kind of it's all based on, on that same premise that we we enjoy it it is work every day it does add somewhat to our stress level but it's it's very rewarding and it's great when we can we can share this with our friends and in our family and others that truly appreciate um you know where the food comes from and, and living organically um so that's you know we kind of just took a little bit at a time but i was never raised with that you know i was raised with you know, pretty standard cat and a dog in our household, but we never had any kind of quote unquote livestock or chickens or things like that. But, um, you know, we're lucky enough here. The space we have is very conducive for it, um, but it's been, been very much a, a learning process. You know, a lot of trial and error, making mistakes, uh, realizing, you know, our fence is not as strong as it was. And, you know, looking out and seeing a fox run, run away with a chicken is, is a big punch, punch in the gut. <laughs> I'm sure there's all kinds of lessons that you're always learning and it, it must be important and challenging for your kids to learn about the life cycle of things. Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely hard, you know, especially when we have our harvest time. So, it, you know, our meat chickens we raise and between eight and 10 weeks is when we harvest them. So they go from one day old chicks to harvest time. And it's not something we particularly enjoy. Um, there is a sense of relief that, you know, We'll, we'll raise about 40 chickens at a time, meat chickens that is. And when harvest time comes around, it's a relief for me because I'm not as concerned with predators coming in and potentially ravishing them all. You know, we could get one night of a 
um, you know, a weasel or a fisher cat goes in, then they could kill them all. And some of those animals that just kill them to kill them, that's much more frustrating. Luckily, we've never had a major massacre like that, but it does happen. Um, it, but anytime we have a harvest time, we, we, we gather things together and we say a little prayer. We, we thank the animals for their lives. We're grateful that they were able to provide um, you know, a beautiful place for them with clean water and plenty of space. And you know the way the way that we raise is is fully um, fully open to the air. I mean, they have a tremendous amount of freedom in 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 a large open area in, in our field that they're able to you know eat bugs and dig in the dirt and things like that. So it, it's it's also rewarding in that sense that we have we give them the best life possible that we know of. Um, so it's satisfying in that, in that sense when they they give us their bodies for us. Um, and, and it's even a little more challenging with the pigs because the pigs we have, you know, from the end of May till November, and they're much more, they have much more personalities. And to see them, that's even a little more challenging. And the kids don't really partake in that so much. Um, they partake a little bit with the, the chickens and the turkeys, um, but those are a little bit easier, I guess, to, to, to let go of. What's your perspective as someone who lives in a rural town and works in the city what are the major differences you're seeing in response to the pandemic? Yeah, um, um, Eddie, another great question, because that's been um, another amazing observation that I've had. You know, I've always loved living in the valley. I love it being a little bit slower. I love the sense of community. Um, you know, we're always looking out for each other down here. And not to say that Burlington doesn't or other urban areas don't, but it's a smaller community. You, you know, when we go skiing, we see the our neighbors we see the people that that service at restaurants and bars and things like that and then it's the same people that we see when we go to these programs and pick up our kids and hang out and, and talk from it and it's the same ones we see when we go to soccer games so it's such a great valley in in, in our community and helping each other out um, i'd say one of the most i guess one of the larger things one of the most challenging things i've noticed is in particular when you know, we've, we've, at a convenience, I've always done a lot more of the food shopping and at a convenience I've done it up in Burlington and, or, or South Burlington for that matter. And it's, it's nothing against the Valley. It's just at a pure convenience. It's, it's easier for us to, to, to grab things up there and go. And one of the challenging things for me is that people down in the Valley are much more aware, much more um, doing the better steps for social distancing and wearing masks out in, in public spaces. And you're seeing less of that in Burlington. And I don't know if that's, <clears throat> excuse me, because people are, are, are ignorant to it uh, of their own degree. If they don't believe it, that is going to make a difference. If they don't have access to masks and gloves and things like that, or simply they don't want to. Um, but that's, that's frustrating for me because the way I'm living my life when I'm out in public is because I have a lot of technically defined as low risk exposures. And I know I've had low risk exposures to um, either PUIs and that's a, uh, a person under investigation or positive coronavirus patients. Um, you know, I live my life right now as if I have it and I don't want to give that to anyone. So I'm practicing as much as I can for other people, for the community's value. You know, I would, I would, be devastated if I was to know that I was a person that, that transmitted the disease to other people and if it affected them 
you know, whether it was injury, illness, or death, you know, that, that's not what, that's not why I chose to do my job. You know, why do first responders, why do nurses, doctors, why do they do the job? And I think the overwhelming majority of them, because it's, it's not easy. It is stressful. It does encompass you. It is overwhelming at times. It is scary. But it boils down to the fact that we want to help people. And for the most part, you know, people are, are, are reaching out and, and helping each other and helping those. You know, one thing I, I know I particularly did is, is I do some side work, and some side landscaping and tree work is that I had a, um, a customer of mine and she was looking for someone to take her, her trash to the dump. And she's in, uh, of an uh, older generation. So based on age, she's, um, you know, higher risk. And I said, yeah. I'll absolutely come grab your trash. I'm going to go to the dump anyways. And I swung by and, you know, she put her trash and recycles at the end of the driveway. So there's no personal interaction between us as, as far as potential for exposure. And it's other stories like that, that we're hearing that, that people that can help are helping. And, and, you know, when all this calms down and the virus is either subsides or, or is eliminated or whatever it is, or we get the vaccination, um, things will, re- you know, return to normal, hopefully, in whatever sense that may be. And, and in the valleys, people are always going to help each other. But people are stepping up to help each other more, which is it's, it's great to see. Jay, thanks so much for sharing your perspective and talking to us about your work. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we sign off? No, thank you, Eddie. It's, it's, it's certainly something I'm passionate about, my, my career, my job. And love sharing and talking with people about it. Um, the only thing I, I'm going to kind of talk about for a minute here is I'm going to get up on my soapbox and it's an item I, I, I struggled with a few weeks ago, maybe about a month ago is when the, when the virus was coming out and how they're identifying people on the front line. And um, this is my own kind of personal thoughts is, you know, you hear in the media people on the front line and certainly they're referring to EMTs and, paramedics and firefighters and the police officers and, and the nurses and doctors and all that. And, and there's been some nice recognition of the grocery store clerks and the mail delivery personnel and the truck drivers and, and all them. Um, personally, <clears throat> I think that everyone on the planet, every single person is on the front lines of this. Um, I think that, you know, there is no line. This disease is all-encompassing. It doesn't discriminate. It goes everywhere and anywhere that, that we're allowing it to. Um, you know, from the stay-at-home moms or dads that are being at home with their kids, maintaining their sanity, doing what they can to educate their kids in homeschool. You know, there's a lot of people that aren't used to homeschooling and they're not sure what to do. I say just do what you think is best. You know, don't worry about, you know, sitting down and, and doing all the, the math problems every day or, or reading every day you know your kids may need a break this is heavy for them it's, it's heavy for everyone um but everyone's on the front lines the, the, the term that i really like uh and i was speaking with um uh, a healer the other day about it is and she referenced and, and i really like it is that the quote unquote as the media describes them first um, um frontline personnel um are more um Frontline responders, and, and that's the term I really like, and that's that's a term that I, I think would like to I would like to see be used more in reference to the people that are responding again in the fire trucks and, and the police and that, 
But, um, you know, I, I have a huge amount of respect. And when I go to the grocery stores, I thank them for showing up every day. I thank them for doing what they can because it's a big circle, you know. Sure, I may be out there dealing with these patients on a direct level and then helping them manage their care. But my family and I, need we need to go to the grocery store to eat. You know, and if the truck drivers weren't doing their job and if the farmers weren't doing their jobs and the people in the warehouses weren't doing their jobs and if the grocery store clerks weren't doing their jobs, I wouldn't be able to, to get what I need to, to sustain myself. So it's a big circle is the way I see it. And, and it's, it's just, you know, as everyone says, we're all in this together. And, and I really, truly believe that and thankful for everyone for doing what they can and you know, one day we'll look back on this and say, wow, that was some really trying times. And, uh, you know, again, uh, on another kind of personal thing, one of the things I was concerned about initially when everything was coming out is how is the mental and emotional state of the general population going to handle this? You know, I think on a very baseline status, you know, a month, two months ago, that there's a lot of people out there suffering. There's a lot of people out there suffering of, of, of certainly illnesses, um, mental and emotional and physical, and, you know, add this stress to it. And I was very much concerned about seeing increased suicide rates, increased homicide rates, increased um, people just reach, reaching the breaking point and not having an outlet. Um, so it's, we haven't seen a tremendous amount of it yet in Burlington, but, uh, you know, we're still... I think we're, we're still on the uptick when it seems like we haven't plateaued yet and we haven't come down the backside. And, and from my study, what I've done, I've done a lot of research on, on the pandemic flu of 1918, the, the quote unquote Spanish flu. And my prediction, and, and I'm no scientist, I'm, I, you know, I'm basing this based on what I've seen with, with that pandemic is that I expect this to, to, to die down in the summer. And when it gets cold again, I expect to see another rise in it. And that's going to be just as challenging because we're going to say, oh, here we go again. You know, um, I think we'll be better prepared in some ways, but it's just, it's, it's exhausting. You know, this day in, day out, waking up, you know, sometimes you wake up and you feel like this is just a bad dream. And then, and then you get out of bed, you're like, no, this isn't a dream. This is reality. And you just, you know, put your, put your pants on, put your shoes on and, do the best you can, love those that are around you, and then reach out to others and take it one day at a time. That was Jay Neal. Jay is a paramedic firefighter in Burlington, Vermont. He spoke with us from his home in Warren where he lives with his wife Nikki and their kids Brody, Daisy, Wilder, and their dog Ridge. This episode was co-hosted with Jonas Jarecki. Jonas is a high school sophomore at the Putney School. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.